evolved quicker than any other type of demographic. Since probably about 2009, you saw quite rapid change. And then from 2015 onwards, completely different student now to what we're from 2015. You can find a scheme that will work for an 18 year old now. In three years time, that 18 year old might as well be from a different planet because they will be completely different with their expectations, their needs, and, and the way they interact with your services. And that's why it's really hard. Everyone can just get anything they want now instantly. Um, so why would you be on campus? Why would you stop and eat and interact with campus? You might as well go home into your room and have it delivered to you. Hi, I'm Ian Pringle, and this is the Loyalty Podcast from New World Loyalty, where we help you make the most of your loyalty strategies by listening to us talk about what we like to talk about most, which is loyalty and loyalty programs. In this podcast, we'll discuss the growing number of university loyalty programs and explore what makes them work, what makes them fail, and how to create a loyalty strategy which truly works for students and further education bodies. So to help me with this, I'm joined by two guests who have hands-on experience of building, operating, and managing loyalty programs for students. So please could I welcome Mark Rooker, Commercial and Campus Development Manager at Sheffield Hallam University. Hi, Mark. Hi, Ian. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. And uh, Phil Lee Warren, Technical Director at UniWare Systems. Hi, Phil. Yeah, hi, Mark and Ian. Good to meet you. That's good to see you both as well. Um, so to kick us off tonight, can we just give a really brief introduction to who you are and your experience in this area? So, uh, Mark, do you want to kick off? Yeah, so uh, I'm Mark Rooker. I'm, uh, as I said earlier, Campus and uh, Commercial Development Manager at Hallam. So I've, I've been in higher education for 10 years as a commercial manager, uh, and it's been my job to actually um, launch programs, two different programs we've launched. So it's, it's, it's about going back and, and seeing what everybody else was doing so we could we could learn from it. And that's been uh, my, my key role in, uh, commercially for, for Hallam for the past, uh, well, certainly for the past nine years. Perfect. There's nothing like hands-on experience. We've all you can look at loyalty programs all you like, but it's actually running them that makes the difference. <laughs> That's right. I, I certainly wasn't an expert when I when I joined Hallam, but yeah, I, I would say I could probably join Mastermind now on some of these. <laughs> Brilliant. And do you, Phil? Uh, yeah. So uh, I'm technical director at UniWare, which actually means I'm the product owner. So I kind of guide the way the software develops uh, and the things that we build, and I've been doing that for about 30 years doing that kind of thing. Uh, mostly we started off as part of a contract catering company and the uh, business has grown from there. And you do universities and and other, other um, employee bodies as well? Yeah, we're in different sectors, business, in, industry, law firms, uh, some high street operations like motorway service areas, uh, but a lot of universities and colleges too. Perfect. So we know people that have run it and people that operate it. So that's that's fantastic. So Mark, can you um, just get us started tonight with a with a bit of a discussion about the main challenges about university loyalty programs? You know, why are they so hard, and and what are the what are the challenges that universities face, particularly since lockdown and changes that have happened? Yeah, I, th- I think it's probably the question I get asked the most. Why is it so difficult? Is it, and it probably comes down to the fact that students probably evolve quicker than any other type of demographic and uh, and you've seen that really clearly post-COVID where there's distinct before campus and after campus but actually that was happening for a long time and um, since since probably about 2009 you saw quite rapid change and then from 2015 onwards 
completely different student uh, now to what we're from 2015. It, it's chalk and cheese. And is that the international element or is it actually just do you think students and young people have changed? I think it's students and young people. I think actually, it, it, strangely, international, although we, we, we're pulling in nationally from different countries, you know, each university's probably got their own niche, but we're, there's, there's, you know, Indian and Nigerian students. International students aren't changing as, as, as much. Their habits are a little bit more as they were back in 2015, 16. So UK students, particularly young people, who have really changed. Uh, and they were changing before. And, and this is something I try and get across constantly um, to make sure whatever you do your business needs to evolve around your students to be flexible because these students were changing before this has just been accelerated and they'll continue to change again in the future and that's why it's so hard to find a scheme that works because you can find a scheme that will work for an 18 year old now in three years time that 18 year old might as well be from a different planet because they will be completely different with their expectations their needs and, and the way they interact with your services and that's why it's really hard. Um, even staff change, um, but we just don't change at the same same rate. And you, you keep think, saying change, but can you give an example of sort of before and after, paint a picture of before and after? What do you think of those really key changes? Yeah, so I, I think some of them are stereotypes where you can actually play them out that young people don't have any you know attention span or want something, you know, I want it now, it has to be instant. And that's true. It is true, you do see it. Students aren't going to wait. Um, they want a quick, easy process. The reason companies like Amazon are so successful is three clicks and they've got there. I'm not saying every business needs to be at that kind of uh, efficiency, but that's key for a young demographic. It's got to be so slick and quick, whatever you do. And then you see their changes in their personal habits. Either they don't drink in the same same way. You know, a third of students are teetotal. Their social groups are completely different. And this is one of the big changes post-COVID where you're seeing it, it was common at university to see groups of five, six people. And if you went into a halls of residence, part of my role as accommodation, you'd see five or six students interacting in social social spaces, going out into town in groups of sometimes 10, 12 people. You don't see that now. It's it's, it's one or two people. Really? You know, very rarely see groups of three or four people. And that has real big changes for, for what you're going to see then in, in terms of how they interact with campus. Um, they don't cross courses in the same way and interact uh, when they go and, and, and eat uh, and have those experiences. It, it's completely different to how it was before, where you might see students study, have a coffee, a sandwich, sit in an environment for a bit with a group of five or six others. Far less likely to see that now. Um, if they do go out, it's an experience dining where that will be the focus and they'll study, they'll study separately away from campus. So how does that impact the, the physical environment of the university, lecture theatres and things like that? How does that impact? Yeah, I, th- I think Hallam's one of the worst for this, if I'm being 100% honest. We built a campus around teaching groups, you know, large lecture theatres, anywhere from 50 to 450 students. Uh, and while there's still a place for that kind of teaching, that's not the driver for university. Students feel they can get that experience online just as much as they can be in the classroom. Where the value is, is, is small groups. Not teaching groups of 30 and 40, and you know, most of our classrooms are 30, but those really small groups of five and six where they feel confident to interact, 
confident to talk to each other. Again, I, I keep saying post-COVID. Post-COVID, you've seen that change. And since 2021, that's where students want, uh, are seeing the real value. All their feedback says that that's where they really benefit from university. And they don't like these big lecture theatres, large teaching groups where someone's speaking at them. They like that small interaction, personal one-to-one. That's where the value is for them. Do you think there's any uh, difference, Mark, between universities that are, say, in a city and those that are on the edge of town in a campus where they have a more captive audience? Uh, or are you seeing an impact of maybe delivery companies like Just Eat and and that impacting the, the business? There's, there's definitely a campus-based university and, uh, and there's, there's definitely some separation in terms of habits. They, we're, we're within the city and if you're at a university within the city, you, there's probably more competition. But I, I think if you, if you, I mean, I've been to some uh, campus-based institutes and I, you do see just a trail of Uber drivers. Uh, I, I even I, I took I took our VC this year. Actually, we, we went out on a police patrol. We we took them around uh, some of our halls. One of the big changes, uh, and it was really good to see, was when you could see um, deliveries to one of our largest halls. So there's eight eight hundred students in there. Round about seven o'clock at night, you were seeing a delivery of some sort every thirty seconds. Wow! And I think you're you're seeing this in campus space, probably not to that scale, but you will be seeing it now. Um, but what's surprising was what what was being delivered. You know, they weren't delivering pizzas. You know, you might get the odd one, but milkshakes, ice creams, printed work, wood was being delivered. It's just constant. <laughs> and we we know some of our residents as, as of, in terms of Amazon parcels and parcels coming through is just a, a ridiculous one. Over a hundred thousand deliveries in a year to a, to one residence. And that's so you look at all, everyone can just get anything they want now instantly. Um, so why would you be on campus? Why would you stop and eat and interact with campus? You might as well go home into your room and have it delivered to you. So do you think universities have different challenges? You said yourself that Hallam has particular challenges because of your physical infrastructure. But do you think different universities have different challenges? Yeah, that's that's key. Um I think one of the things that we, we, we've talked about in conferences before when, we, when we've interacted with other institutes and they'll see things where they're performing quite well and, you know, and, and in areas where the, you know, if you compare them with, with us, we'll be better at certain aspects and they won't. And that's because their student groups are probably quite different mm. um, and every university is different. And, and it's this is why it's really hard to, to pick an off-the-shelf product that might help your business. It's really difficult. I've been to see, and, and, and universities come to see me and said, we want to copy what you're doing. But if you don't understand your own students, that just won't work. Things that work for us won't work for another institute. They, they can be, particularly with, with, if you compare, you know, so look at Sheffield Hallam with Sheffield University of the Road. Those students are completely different. Absolutely, completely different from different backgrounds, different walks, culturally different. Their spending, their behaviour is completely different. So, so any products or services should be different because if we both got the same, one of us is going to miss out. It's so interesting you to say that because you know I've got your know, twenty-eight years' experience in running and managing and designing law to programs, and all of the the ones that work are the ones that work because you do understand that because all retailers are different, right? All retailers, all utility companies. And to, and to make something work, you have to have a really clear understanding of your customers 
and your problem. And I think what that's what you're saying here. Your customers, are, your, your, your students are different and your problems, therefore, are different. Exactly. That's exactly right. So, the, the, and, and this is where, where it's, you sometimes get blinded by it as well. It's hard to see, you know, what, what students are, particularly if you, if you look at something like, you know, your catering outlets, you, you, your products that you have in there, it's very hard because universities, you know, purchase in in, in collaboratives. They, they they purchase, you know, from different from from sorry procurement collaboratives, um, and where they're buying certain products that are the same as others, and and it's really difficult. It's not as easy to just completely change your services, your food, drinks offer, to be completely different to, to suit your students because. It's very hard for us to purchase and have value because all the value we get is in saving costs is to join big collaboratives and purchase, you know, through Kubo and two core networks. So it is it isn't an easy solution, even if you know that your 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 students or your staffs are, are interacting with your services differently and wanting different things. It's not easy to change it and, and, and fit their needs. And so you said you you'd you'd run two programs before. And uh, the students had changed. Can you talk us through what you did the first time and the lessons you learned? And also, would that program work now, given the circumstances of your pseudonym? Yeah, well, interestingly, in, in 2018, I talked about this product and, and saying it was dying then. So uh, I've already given it the death certificate. But yeah, it, back <laughs> back in its day, it was very uh, successful. So we, we had a smart card. You, you'll probably have seen it from your time at university, but you, you may have had five or six different cards. So one for the library, one for access, one for payments, borrowing, access to gyms. So it was just a concept that we had was let's create one card. And we weren't the only universities doing that. But then we thought if we get one card and we can put payment and hospitality and loyalty programs on that, well, we had the winner. Uh, and we it wasn't easy, but we managed to put all those onto one card. So students had a card in their pocket that would unlock everything for, for their university life. It was just the one card they, they needed and it was preloaded card uh, and what we would do is incentivize them to to use that card by the more they put on the, the, there would be a points reward the more they spent they got points back and then we'd have uh, some always different competitions you know spot prizes we had flights and all sorts going away but then we do one pound wednesdays with everything on, on site was a pound just for those users and so there was a huge incentive for you to load. And students average would, would load up 14 pounds a time. That was the average they were loaded. So, so at its height, which was in, in 2016, we had 1.5 million go through that for student interaction. Uh, and, and at a time where many universities were, were struggling uh, and actually footfall generally was starting to drop out, our student numbers had plateaued. We were seeing increases in revenue, increase in spend and increase in profit. Uh, not only was it driving sales, it was driving people to the right kind of products, the products where we had margins because we could control it. And we then developed an app, which was basically just the card, but on, a, on, on an app based. It was one of the first real apps that was you know, mirroring the one card uh, system. And that was hugely successful uh, at the time. We had I would guess at least 50 universities come to see us asking how we did it and, and, and where it was going. But that was a peak and its decline was rapid. And the only reason it, it, it declined, well, the, the, the main reason is students don't like preloading. People don't like preloading. 
you know, why would I put money onto that card? And we would increase the incentives. We could put an offer in for 25% if you preloaded and we wouldn't get and it wouldn't work. that kind wow. of function. Wow. Because the it was just a barrier. It's an added hurdle. And students, again, talked right at the start, the, the change in students. You saw it there. That was the balance between where the incentive and discount, well, the incentive for loading and the discount they got had, had flipped. Uh, and so we dropped off. We went from 1.5 million to, to more or less 375, but 390,000 the next year. And that's when uh, at a conference I said, that's the end of smart cards. I didn't believe there was a future for smart cards and loyalty around smart cards. It had to be innovative app based on mobile phones. And innovative app based and then, and then incentivizing behaviors that are because you could, I've seen lots of examples around the market you know there's people incentivizing health there's people incentivizing there's still people incentivizing spend and that's still between one and five percent so it, it seems to be that still universities are believing that that model they're trying to incentivize people to use a wallet now I don't know where the commercial benefit is in that or whether they have to drive a commercial benefit again how, how do you what do you view of those models I think that uh, one of the problems with the preloading schemes is it, it can be difficult to get your money out. So if you have an automated process of refunding the money, so in our system, uh, when you close your account, there's an automatic refund back to the card that you use to, uh, to charge the account up. So it's very easy to get your money out. Uh, I think the other thing to think about on those card systems, uh, the, the commercial value, is that students uh, in the course of their education uh, are exempt from VAT on a wide variety of foods if they're eating in the restaurant. Uh, so commercially, uh, the institution could choose to uh, use the card or knowing the customer to drive that VAT exemption, uh, which is a 20% either discount return to the customer or uplift in profit if you don't return it to the customer. So in, in places where you've got city centres or things like that, there's a real incentive to understand who's a student, who's not a student. Yeah, if you're in the middle of a city and you're running catering operation for students, uh, you've got a 20% advantage over the outlets around you. Especially if you have it and you can identify them as being students. Yeah. If you don't do that, quite often the VAT is done on an apportionment or sampling basis, which isn't as accurate. But if you've got a system that accurately uh, identifies the customer, you can do the differential VAT. Uh, and you can also do the club tab card type promotion where you have spot prices for those customers as well as the point scheme in the background. Perfect. So, Mark, you developed that program before. I mean, what what would you now, if you were developing a program now, or, you, or it sounds like you have developed a program, well, how have you adjusted? How have you pivoted your model? I think, being us, we're on the start of a journey. What, what I believe is the pinnacle of a loyalty program it doesn't exist there yet. I think a one-card system on an app where everything's connected, sport membership, that's the future. And I don't think we're quite there yet. What we've gone is we've looked at what we feel is a good loyalty program, strong loyalty program, but can evolve. Um, and we, we've selected, we, we, we had a look at hundreds of providers, but we, we, we wanted someone who could follow us on a journey. And we've got a roadmap now for, for three years, which will improve our loyalty system to make it user friendly looks nice removes all the barriers and, and does what it says on the tin will offer some loyalty and hopefully drive income and sales and, and and that loyal customer base but i still don't feel it's it's 
it's probably going to be that three year till we see that jump and something can interact with every other service we've got. And that's where I think we would need to be to be able to start really growing our business back to where it was. I mean, Phil, you, you know better than I, but the technologies to allow, allow you to gather data, you clearly have technology that gathers lots of data now today, but equally over time, the, the APIs and the open open software capabilities are going to grow to be able to access that type of thing do you think uh yeah i mean the most important thing at the moment is you cover all of your channels with your loyalty program so whether somebody does a click and collect through their app or goes to a pause or goes to a self-service kiosk uh, is all the same loyalty system uh, it needn't necessarily be a purse it could be just identifying the customer i i've got a tesco cub card but i don't charge it up with any money i just use it to get the discount and the points so it has to be a flexible thing for the customer uh, i guess it's uh, yeah everything everywhere all at once is a is, is a good uh, uh, slogan for it really where i think things are going we're we're looking at a more uh, anonymous kind of loyalty systems where if you're paying with the same payment card we're, we're able to to do something in the background with uh, something called a payment token which has become more recently available uh, that's that's an encrypted token it's not the card number but it's a token issued by the payment service provider uh, and we would be able to join up purchases across different outlets even if you didn't use uh, a loyalty scheme but what we may be able to do is a subsequent uh, registration to enhance the the loyalty aspect of that and give the customers some more rewards uh, so that might be using the payment card as a as a token card if you like no exactly and and also there's 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 a growing number of other technologies that can allow you to in- interact with other partners outside of the universities as well things like card linked offers or other technologies have you looked at things like that as well uh we we are looking at some link schemes uh, i know there have been some in the uh sort of sports arena uh where we're currently looking at as a company uh maybe linking to more sustainable suppliers uh maybe uh, companies that are involved in things like re- reuse of plastic cups companies that uh, are able to give us uh, carbon weighting for uh, carbon per portion size uh, and so base rewards on sustainable uh, goals in that way. Oh, perfect. So um, to, just to finish off tonight, what are the lessons? Let's, let's summarise some lessons that you think if you were going to advice you'd give to other other people managing or going out on a journey to design a loyalty programme for university, what are the sort of big lessons you would you would point them to? Uh, Mark, do you, want to, do you want to cover that one? Yeah, I mean... Journey is the right the right word. Why uh, when I visit uh, a university and, and look at their their customer journey, I don't feel that they're really paying enough notice to the full journey, which is full of barriers in many cases, and they don't see loyalty as part of that you know interaction that service. It all has to be joined up from student thinking about going. I'm going to eat there. To what does that play out? How easy is it to use their services? There's so many examples I could give of universities really giving it wrong. And sometimes you've got to step back and have a look and see why why is that students really struggling with that interaction or trying to understand, get 18-year-olds to to go on that journey, get them to feedback. A a prime example, and and this is recent, it's a recent uh, one that's launched in the Northeast. When we went to, to, to watch their interaction, it is a good loyalty scheme in the background, but for a student, they had to preload a mount onto it scan a QR code to show that they were redeeming that offer, show that at till point and then pay from it for a 10% discount. Yeah, that's... Uh, it's too many barriers. Student can just walk up, pay on the phone, all right, I've probably not saved 34p, but I've, 
I'm off, I'm running. They just don't want to do that. A, a sport program where sport interact with three or four different services. And what that meant is every time you went to the gym, you'd get points. Every time you went healthy, you get points. Great scheme in theory, clearly being thought up by a university thinking about well-being. But there was too many rules to it. It became confusing because you can't redeem this. This certain points don't work on this day or certain items you can't double rewards. Students didn't know where they were and so they just collapsed. It just has to be so straightforward. And what I'm starting to see quite a bit, and this a university in, in London have developed their own app and it is a good app, but they're struggling for, for, for they, they certainly struggled in January, the January intake was around the number of students that were signed up to it. And when we look at it, it's about registering. Now, if, if you're not having single sign-on options, which are, uh, many providers do have, you're asking students to identify themselves as a student and, and fill out their details. If that program is going to take you longer than 50 seconds, you've lost a student. That I had a go and it was four minutes. You, students aren't going to do that. The other thing, Mark, is the economics of loyalty back that up. Because because if the way the way a univers the way a loyalty program works the way the economics of a loyalty program works is it only work I I often design, describe my job as monetizing Father Christmas right we give stuff away but we have to do it profitably and in order to do it profitably you have to influence people otherwise if you just give loyalty away give a margin away to your most loyal customers who have the most to gain then it doesn't work and so if you have quite a big barrier or quite a hard system the only people that are going to be bothered to get through it are the ones that are going to benefit most which are the ones that are already doing it right and so it really makes unless you can make it easy the economics just don't work 100% agree it's that's that's it and and this is where universities really probably don't have the data some of the systems that are pulling in data won't really tell them that they haven't analyzed you know for the last five or six years so who are they comparing it to but you're exactly right stamp cards is a big one every loyalty scheme with stamp cards we're launching one with stamp cards i'm yet to be convinced they have any real value we, we've done some studies and with students it had no impact they, they did not see a loyalty program even on a meal deal for four have four meals and your fifth one's free they weren't using it and that's obviously 20 percent. with staff there was some evidence that when they got to eight cups of coffee their ninth one free yeah they'll move from seven to eight cups a bit sooner so across a year you might get a couple of extra drinks but for what you were giving away it just wasn't worth it i've still not seen how where, where i have seen that work is for a global retailer that you'll all know of everyone has phone has probably had something had bought something from them this year is we did a project for them where they were they were giving away you know people are having a Hawaiian pizza every Friday and on the on, and therefore they would save up and then on the 10th Hawaiian pizza they'd get free and and that wasn't again wasn't designed wasn't driving the right behaviors for either party but then when you use the redemption for a side or a redemption for something that people don't buy what you then do start to see is a change of behavior where people will say actually I haven't had a muffin but I really quite like that muffin or I did like that other thing that's where I have seen it work but you're right just rewarding your most valuable customers for whatever they always do is probably not the best idea yeah definitely there there is something about you know knowing a customer will buy certain products and trying to encourage them as that extra sale a loyalty that's, that, that is based around habits, that's the winner if you can get that. That's very complex and difficult to do. But you, you've all had, you know, the cookies on a website. You, you'll be thinking, you almost be thinking of 
different things you might want to eat or drink and it suddenly will pop up because it's, it's tracked your your habits amazon's brilliant for you know knowing what you're looking at and it will give you offers based on your searches if you shop online at sainsbury's or asda they will make recommendations that all right they might get it wrong occasionally but normally they'll say oh yeah i do normally buy those and that's a good offer for me or yeah, I might spend a bit extra because you know what if if you could do that in an app to university, you, you've hit the jackpot. But what you do find is because they can't do it to an individual, they'll do it to a group, a group of fifty students, and you'll turn off forty-eight. Yeah, you know, that, you'll you'll that, give a, a vegan offer. That, that's loyalty yeah. altogether. The, the yeah. other one you said though is is about is about um, objectives, and I think that's really important too. Is is I often say at the beginning of a loyalty project, what are your biggest problems, and focus on them. Not just copying something that that, that that someone else does. It's saying, what are my biggest problems and what are my biggest challenges? Because invariably, that's where the gold is. Because you can design a program that change. You know, you were saying yourself about people not using the not using the facilities or the facilities aren't fit, fit for purpose or something. But, you know, the, there's bound to be something you can design around those big problems that would help you and the students, you know? Yeah, one of them we were actually exploring with... We, that we've explored with Uniware is is actually just just pre-ordering and collecting on the way. That's because we, we we one of our key problems is we, overall footfall is down, but not significantly. But time on campus is is chalk and cheese now to to what it was. You know, students coming on for for, for three to four hours a week wow. in some cases. You know, they will have a tutorial or a lecture and then they'll leave. They might nip into the library to get a book, 20 minutes on their laptop and they're gone. You, you, you're not seeing students in any kind of number stay on campus. So your interactions then are quite difficult. So what, we've, what we're trying to do and, uh, and what we're looking at is ways that actually if they are on campus to make that really quick. So if they are hungry, they can get something, pre-order it, collect it. We're even looking at deliveries, which would have been unthinkable five years ago but we're trying to see we've, we've got to try and get to the student we've got to try and be on their phones be in their thoughts they're not going to come out of the way they will not walk to one of our outlets and our outlets <laughs> aren't by entrances they're not universities don't design food and don't design catering outlets or, or gyms by the entrances to university buildings they're all tucked away somewhere so they're not going to interact with us when they can just order it and have that delivered to their desk, delivered to their home. So we're trying to find ways to do it, and that's our barrier. That might be different for other universities. And this is about what we said earlier about knowing your customer, knowing your problems. Yeah, we found during COVID that, that a lot of universities started that service. So we, we sold a lot of direct ordering systems and they were doing deliveries to residences for the students who were effectively trapped there. Uh, so they could do direct ordering and deliver to those residences. Just returning to your point on the easing the, the process of signing up for a scheme, what, what we tend to be doing with uh, universities we've done for some time, which is the ability to kind of load up the student population, send them a joining email. So the friction signing up is just basically following a link on an email and ticking a few boxes, which is quite good. Uh, but we are currently working with uh, uh, one university. Uh, we, we've had a thing called um, or single sign-on for some time using Microsoft Azure, it's federated authentication. Uh, we're actually seeing if we can smooth the registration process using that technically. So basically when somebody comes to the app for the first time, they, they use single sign-on for a tenancy that we identify with. 
we will actually uh, be able to claim their their data and populate and enroll them in the app with with no effort at all the the other one i'd i'd finally add to this is just is uh, it's the thing i see absent from all the programs i've seen and this week i've done a lot of research of it is is it seems to be absent is have fun right <laughs> they're kids they're students you know I had a laugh at uni, crikey, probably more than I should have done. But um, but it's not reflected in the loyalty programs. You know, I just think, have a bit of a laugh. You know, what do you think about that? Well, gamification was something we we explored at one point. We, we, to be honest, I've only ever seen t- two um, universities try gamification. And it was done in such a cringy way that I think that it's it scared everyone to death. Never mind the students. I, I, I'm a big fan if you can do something. We 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 know that. I mean, students now get called Generation Serious and, and get a bit of a bad rep. But if you look at the types of accounts they really interact with, you know, Ryanair and they they do like that cheeky fun element to it, a little bit naughty. Um, uh, as a general rule. I'd love to see us push them boundaries, but I think we're too old-fashioned. I think the, the sector's too old-fashioned to do it. Yeah. But you, you, you're right. There's an opportunity there. No, exactly. Well, it just I think that's where we're going to leave it today. So thank you. It just leaves me to say thank you to my guests tonight. So thank you very much, Mark Rooker. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And thank you very much, Feely Warren. Thank you for that. Okay. Yeah, good, good session. Thanks. No, thanks. And if you like this podcast, please like, share, and comment on social media. And we look forward to your company again soon. So thank you all and goodbye.